0: Are you trying to start a podcast but are struggling with the process? Well, you're in the right place now. Contact one of us at Across the Board Sports and we can help you get started through Anchor. We're looking for more podcasters and the best place to do your show is on Anchor. It is the easiest way to distribute your podcast on all major platforms and it's the most user-friendly website. Contact us and let's begin. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs Season 2, Episode 2. I'm your host, as always, Zach Weiss, and for today's show, we did it a little bit differently. An interview with Cavs announcer and Cleveland legend, John Michael. Enjoy. All right, I am here with Cavs announcer, John Michael, the man who needs no introduction the voice of the most iconic call in arguably Cleveland sports history in 2016. John, how are you today in the midst of a six-game road trip that has you in California this morning?
1: I'm terrific, Zach. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, first, an absolute pleasure to bring you on to Across the Cavs. John, I am good. A couple of tough losses the last couple nights, but you know, I saw a lot of fights from all the guys. It was really especially nice to see Dean Wade coming in the fourth quarter. He hadn't really played. I believe it was the second quarter, five or six games. But I think a nice young seats that could really help the team.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see some of the two-way guys, you know, after they work hard in the NBA G League season time uh, with the big club. And Dean Wade certainly was deserving. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, the Cavs, to me, these are the best two teams that we've seen this season. Back to back, the Cavs saw the Lakers two nights ago and Clippers – Last night, and to me, these two teams—I don't want to say head and shoulders above the rest in the West—but boy, they're my favorites. And I mean, there's a there's a reason why there's so much talk around the NBA uh, about the Lakers, about the Clippers. And remember too, the Cavs last night saw the Lakers without Anthony Davis. Cavs saw the Clippers last night without Paul George. These two teams are for real. Both teams are deep. Both teams have, you know, that big superstar which could carry a team through the entire playoff run uh, in LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. So um, two really good clubs. Cats put up a nice fight, you know, and again, it's a young Cavalier team. Uh, You talk about some, you know, some silver lining things to take out of it. I thought Darius Garland, uh, he's been terrific. I mean, this road trip for him, we're four games into a six-game road trip. Uh, He continues to get better game by game, and it's nice to see his – his game rounding into shape in terms of getting his teammates involved. His pace is a good pace. And, you know, one thing to remember, Zach, Darius Garland's played more games on this road trip than he played his entire collegiate career. I mean, he was limited to only five games at Vanderbilt. So uh, just to see him progress and to be going up against, you know, some of the best in the league, arguably the toughest position in the league at point guard, Uh, it's nice. You know, Colin Sexton's doing his thing. I think his role is more defined now. Uh, he's a scoring guard. Last season they had him at point guard, but now, you know, it's clear this guy's going to score the basketball. He's a north south attack guard. Uh, and, and to see these younger players come around and to play under the bright lights of Staples uh, each of the last two nights, right. it's nice, you know, and it's what this organization is about right now, you know, defining pieces that it can work with moving forward uh, when the record gets back to where it wants to be
0: talking about Darius Garland and like every rookie, you know, he played five games at Vandy's Cavs also had Kyrie back in the day. He only played nine games at Duke. So maybe that's a foreshadowing to next year's draft. Anyway, getting back to this, uh, thoughts on Garland. I agree with you completely. Of course, you see him uh, courtside front row every night. he been playing some great basketball. His shooting percentage started off, I think, what, 35 through the first 10, 12 games. Now he's comfortable in his game. He dropped 20 a couple times. He's had a couple of days where his plus minus was in a double-digit positives And, the ten assists are great, and John, I know since Kyrie left, and the Cavs have gone through a George Hill and Deli's had some starts, and Brandon Knight was in the backcourt, and Colin, it's great to see a Cavs guard again that can is capable of those eight to ten assists. I think that to be one thing that really propels them forward in, in the games to come.
1: I agree, and I mean, you know, you look back at Kyrie's early days; he wasn't, you know, on a regular basis dishing out eight ten assists. For ball game, for But then again, he's a different player than Darius Garland, and neither was Darius when the season began. But boy, that assist-to-turnover ratio continues to improve, and that's something that makes John Beeline smile. That's what he looks to first uh, in terms of his guards or point guards anyways. Uh, what does that assist-to-turnover ratio look like? Cavs over the last couple of seasons have not been a big assist team. Ball movement is something that John Beeline has preached since day one, uh, stepping into Cavalier camp, and I think Darius Garland has fit the bill and, it, and has done so progressively better and better as this season has rolled along.
0: I also think, John, I'm sure you, you can accept something to this. It's been interesting. For the last month or so, uh, Coach Beeline has been subbing Darius out right before the media timeout each game, giving him a few minutes and then putting him in for Collin. Now they're playing together. But how do you think that that's helped him kind of, you know, because he didn't play a lot in college. He's only playing about 28 minutes a game. It's been up of late. You get a few minutes of a run, then you get a rest. You can watch how, they, how the team plays while you're out and then come in to make the adjustments.
1: I think, Zach, more so the move is made. So, you know, when, when you start with Colin and Darius up front, you're talking with two guys that are 6'2 and shorter, you know. So when you're defending, a lot of times it's more advantageous for the Cavs to split that group up. And I think that's partially what they're doing in terms of that rotation. I don't think it, it really made a difference. Sometimes it was Sexton coming out early. Other times it's been Garland. They've gone with Garland more, as you mentioned. But what that does is you get, you know, you can get now a Dante Exum out there with a little more length, or you can get a guy with more experience out there. And Matt if things need to be settled down. John Beeline obviously trusts the veteran in Delevedova to be able to get the Cavs into offenses sometimes when things start to get a little scrambly out there on the floor. I think it's worked. I mean, I think that was the impetus to, you know, to do that, to bring one or the other of the young guards out early to start get that, to get that rotation mix going. And, you know, the first couple of times they did it, bringing Darius back with the reserves, it was a really nice mix. It was a nice energy group. Darius was able to adapt well uh, to that bench group. So I, I think the the coaching staff liked what they saw, and that has continued in terms of bringing one or the other, usually Darius, uh, off the floor uh, about five minutes into the ball game.
0: And you talk about you know, the importance of facing them and how it's improved the defense in the second unit, and John, obviously both these guys are very young, and clearly they'll be cast in the foreseeable future, both going to be great in the long term. But what do you think is the best way that, let's say, there's a couple games and they for, for whatever reason, the only two healthy guards are Kong and Darius, and you have KPJ coming off the bench. How can these two young guys, at 19 and 21 years of age, coexist in Cleveland playing together successfully?
1: Well, I think they just need to continue to reps, and then you threw Kevin Porter in there, and you know, unfortunately, Kevin's been banged up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I think it's going to be easy for them to coexist because I think they're all, you know, they're all going to be terrific NBAers. Uh, and we have to remember that Porter and Garland are, are just 19, and Colin just turned 21. So right now, it's, it's just a matter of getting reps. It's a matter of playing well together. It's a matter of seeing, you know, who plays well with whom, not just among the three of those guys, but with their teammates as well, and and which kinds of teammates they play best with. You know, is it energy guys? Is it spot up guys? Is it you know, is it big men? You know, feeding big men playing pick and roll. It all depends. And it's going to take a while to figure that out. And that's what, you know, seasons like this one are meant to do, you know, in the organizational cycle. You know that you have young pieces. You want to see what they can do, and you want to see what they can do in different spots. And to me, Zach, I think that's a big part of, you know, when you go on these road trips. Kaz went into Detroit, you know, on a home-and-home, the tail end of a home-and-home, had just lost to Detroit at home, came back, beat the Pistons on the road, going to Denver, a Denver team at that point, the second-best record in the West, no. hostile environment, altitude, difficult to play. You want to see how these young guys respond. And I think the response has been great. I mean, Darius Garland is not scared. You know, he's 19 years of age, playing at Staples each of the last two nights, playing in Denver at the Pepsi Center. He's not afraid. He's, he's able to play out there on the big stage. We saw those signs out of Kyrie. And again, I'm, believe me, I'm not comparing the two. They're, they're completely different players. But... It's good to see. They're good instincts, and we saw those good instincts out of Kyrie Irving. We see these good instincts out of Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter, and I think it means science for this Cavaliers team.
0: And then, John, shifting gears a little bit from guards to the small forward spot, and I, I've always liked this guy since uh, two years ago when he was a rookie, and he had the respect of LeBron and Isaiah Thomas when he was there and all these other guys. But Jetty Osman, you know, he got the extension – It was right before the season or shortly into the season, but I've finally, you know, he's been inconsistent. Some nights he'll have zero, some nights he'll have 15. Sometimes defense is great, sometimes it's not. I feel like he's, what are your thoughts on him? I feel like he's really started to emerge on this road trip. He had the five threes last night. I feel like he's been a reliable scoring option. Three against Denver that basically turned the game back in the Cavs' favor on the very next possession after they fell behind.
1: I think reliable is a good word, Zach, and, you know, when you look at, He had an up-and-down start, there's no question, uh, did Jetty in in terms of this season. But over his last 14 games, averaging right around 14 points a contest, shooting well over 50% from the field, and his three-point percentage is up around 44% over those last 14 games. And on the other end, he leads this team in deflections. Uh, In terms of his defense, a lot of times uh, he's dealing with the top scorer on the other team uh, in terms of having to play him on that defensive end of the floor. So, yeah, I, I think his Comfort level is much better. I think his patience, his feel for the game, he, he's always been a smart player, but there have been times in his NBA career when he's either rushed it or he's not touching the ball a lot. So when he does, he tries to force his game a little bit. Those days seem to be mostly behind him. He's finding his spots where he can catch and shoot. Uh, he's most effective when he's a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Uh, and I think he has, he's found his role, and he's coming around, no question, in his third season uh, for Robson, this is a big year for him. You know, I don't think there's any question. You know, he is the Cavs' small forward right now. I think there was a lot to prove. Jetty signed to a new deal uh, this most recent summer, and I think he's getting to a portion of the season where we're starting to see some signs that, yeah, he's really comfortable in this role and he can be a, a piece of this team for years to come.
0: We definitely hope that's the case. I love watching his game. And- the ability to shoot. And John, a little pivot here going from talking about the Cavs, talking about John Michael himself. And John, when we spoke a couple of months ago, you uh, told me, and I actually saw a great story about your early broadcasting days of doing a hockey in Lake Erie, but in the Pittsburgh days. But can you talk about your journey from, you got an undergrad degree in mechanical engineering at Notre Dame, and then you got a law degree, you practiced for four years as a trial attorney. And then in 2011, a pool of 200 candidates, John Michael selected as the Cavs radio announcer. How did that whole thing start, and how exactly did you make your way from representing clients in the courtroom to calling basketball and talking to NBA 610 men in locker rooms?
1: Well, what I always tell would-be broadcasters, if you're listening and trying to figure out how to get into the business, don't do this there are a lot easier ways to go about about getting into sports broadcasting than doing this but yeah right I went to Notre Dame uh graduated law school and practiced law I was a trial attorney uh in the largest firm in western Pennsylvania for uh four and a half years but when I started doing that sports have always been my hobby and uh it was one, you know, sports, uh, high school football in, in Pittsburgh, in Ohio. Uh, it's king on Friday night. So one night I was driving around as a practicing attorney I just started, listening to games up in the dial, and I said to myself, you know what, I, that's, I think that's something I'd like to try. So on a whim I put, together a, I put together a tape and sent it to a local station. A week later I got a call, and the guy said, our, our regular play-by-play guy for high school football got sick. Can you do a game tomorrow night? And I I hung up the phone and then completely panicked because I had no idea (laughs) at all how to even begin calling a football game. But I went out, and I did it. I prepared for 24 straight hours. I went out and called the game and fell in love with it. And to my surprise, I got a call back the next day, and the guy said, hey, you know what? Can can you do it next week as well? I said, of course. So week after week, I kept getting calls, and suddenly football season turned into – Basketball and hockey season was turning into baseball season. And while I was practicing law, going to court during the day, I was moonlighting, calling high school sports at night. And I got an offer a couple of years later to do minor league baseball single A in Hagerstown, Maryland. And it was one of those now or never moments. You know, I said to myself, if I don't you know, roll the dice and, and take a shot at this now, I probably never will. So I did. I, I put the practice of law on hold. I, I went and took the job in Hagerstown. My my salary fell instantly from six figures to low four figures, uh, and I started grinding it out in the minors. And minor league baseball turned into minor league hockey, uh, and eventually, you know, six six years later, fortunately, I was in the NHL with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and from there I, I headed back to Cleveland and, and was with the Cavaliers. So it's been a, a crazy, circuitous journey. Uh, fortunately, you know, Zach, in this business, you know, you, you have to be fortunate. The right people have to hear you at the right time. And, of course, part of that is, is hard work. You know, you have to grind it out. You have to be willing to, to go anywhere. My my journey in minors took me to Hagerstown, Maryland, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, and then on to Cleveland in the minors uh, before heading down to Columbus to do the NHL and then back to Cleveland to do basketball. So uh, fortunate and blessed, all of that, uh, to be uh, you know, to be where I am right now, and uh, you know, our family's fortunate that we're able to uh, we're able to call uh, the NBA right now on Fox Sports Ohio.
0: And then, so honestly, John, it sounds like you had a little foreshadowing. And that how long were you in uh, Springfield, Mass, for when you were there?
1: I was there, I was there for two seasons with the Springfield Falcons of the American Hockey League, which uh, is the equivalent of uh, AAA baseball uh, to the NHL.
0: Okay, so it basically. And did you have a chance to visit the Naismith Hall of Fame while you were living in Springfield?
1: Listen to this. I lived I lived literally a half a block from there. never went. <laughs> and, in oh, fact, really? and in fact, that's where and when the team was picked up to go on road trips, we met at the Hall of, in the Hall of Fame parking lot, got on the buses and got on the road trips. And for whatever reason, I was so wrapped up in hockey. It, You know, you get so wrapped up in the job that you're doing at that time yes. that, you know, I never found the time to do it. And now I look back and think to myself, I literally could have gone every day for, for two straight <laughs> years to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Never went.
0: Wow. Okay. And I'm sure you've, you've gotten around to it since then.
1: Yes, I have. <laughs> I, have <laughs> I have been there since as a visitor to Springfield, Mass. Correct.
0: Okay. And then uh, now kind of, Keeping it in the realm of your earlier broadcasting days, and then to make, we'll make a transition back to the NBA. But John, obviously starting off, uh, you're doing football and uh, coming in one day's notice. I uh, we've all been there sometimes starting off, you get that one day's notice and got to prepare. But what was the earliest memory on a broadcast you have of trying to tell a story on air? If that's a question you can I think you can recall an answer to, and then how would that compare to now telling a story on, on the air?
1: Well, that's an interesting question and to me Zach, that takes a long time to be able to figure out how to do it well uh, particularly well on both really on radio and on television more experience on the radio side but to be able to wind a story in while the action is continuing isn't the easy thing to do and in football you have to you know you have to measure it in terms of the plays i mean you have a pretty good idea how much time you have in between plays but remember you have an analyst too you have to wait for that comment so it's it's a little tricky I think it gets a little trickier when you're doing basketball or when you're doing hockey. Now, you have some natural breaks in basketball with the free throws to yep. tell stories, uh, but hockey can, be, hockey can be a little dicey. And again, you can wait for a whistle for a face-off or something like that, but I think it's a real – I can't remember the first time I did that or I attempted to do that, but what I can tell you is that it's an art, and it takes a while. And, and in terms of you know giving advice to wood broadcasters, my hugest piece of advice – is to listen to every single thing that you do. Every broadcast you have, now they have archives. Back, back in the day, I was putting in cassette tapes and, you know, actually taping myself to be able wow. to listen back. But that to this day, that is my single most useful tool in terms of getting better each and every game. It's listening back. What I do personally is I put a line down the middle of a piece of paper, take notes, and on the left side I put things that I don't like the right side to put things that I like. I might have only one thing on the I liked it side and pages and pages on the need to get better side, but that's, to me, the the, the best way to get better. And you study things that you do that you don't like and you try not to do them again, and, and sooner or later, if you continue to do that and, and stay with it, you'll get better naturally. And, uh, you know, again, I, I don't think it's difficult. If you, do, if you call games and don't listen back to what it sounded like, How do you know how it sounds? You know what I mean? Like, how do you know if you're getting better? So, to me, that, you know, the single biggest piece of advice I can give to young broadcasters coming up through the ranks listen to everything you do, critique it, and critique it hard. If it doesn't sound like people that you like to listen to in the business, figure out why. Break it down and determine what you need to do to sound like those people that you like to listen to in the business.
0: Wonderful advice, John. Thank you. And I'm sure everyone will uh, appreciate the, the chance when they're listening back to uh, to listen. And, uh, John, my next question, then, to go from the art of telling a story and a way to improve. And, obviously, this is a year that you look at the record. And Let's just say somebody just became a basketball fan today. and They want to be their cast fan. They living in Cleveland. But see the record, you know, it's, it's not the best. But, obviously, we know that they, they've been working their tails off. It's been a hard-fought season. A lot of things to be happy about. And so through this season, what has been your favorite story, whether it's something you learned this year or something you found in the off season, you couldn't wait till day one to tell, what's been your favorite story, story uh, you've been able to tell on the air for the Cavs this season?
1: That's a good question. You know, I don't know if it's a story, but to watch how Tristan Thompson and his game has progressed from what he was, you know, is his, his Rookie year, Tristan Thompson and his tenure, my tenure are exactly the same. We were hired within a a month of each other. Different starting salaries by by just a little bit. (laughs) Different base starting salaries, but different story for a different day. But uh, so I've been able to, I've had the good fortune of being able to call every dribble, every rebound that he's that he's taken throughout his entire career, and and to watch him rise, you know, and go to the finals four straight times, and to fill roles so beautifully that the Cavaliers needed essentially needed and wouldn't have won the title without him to see him be able to do that for four straight seasons is really a treat to watch. But now to fill a different role over the last two years, you know, when you play for a LeBron James led team, his voice is the biggest voice for, you know, for good reason in the locker room. Now Tristan's voice is the biggest voice and he's the one who was able to keep the, the younger guys you know, on task and focused, and, and to just to watch that progression and to watch him score thirty-five points in Detroit the other night and grab fourteen rebounds against Andre Drummond is phenomenal. You know, and if you would have told me that Tristan would have gone for thirty-five and fourteen just three or four years ago, ever I would have said there's no way. Yeah. You know, and and I'm and I'm one of the guy's biggest fans. You know, from from watching how hard he works uh, on a night in and night out basis. So that's you know that that's something that's been special to watch. Alfonso McKinney. Uh, is another nice story he's you know signed with the Cavaliers alfonso about i think it was 2016 so it was about a little over 3 years ago paid 175 dollars of his own money to try out for the windy city bulls in the nba g league in his hometown of chicago yep. barely made the cut hung on eventually became an nba g league all-star and a couple of years later He was signed by the Raptors, later by the Warriors. Now he's with the Cavs. After beginning his career before that uh, in Europe, he said he played in Luxembourg for about $1,000 a month. Uh, So just to see this guy work hard, bet on himself, get himself to the NBA, and now be a part of what the Cavs are doing, uh, it's special. And and frankly, Zach, I mean, there are stories like that all over the NBA. And to me, it's what makes this sport special. Uh, Just to see how some of these players have gone – uh, from from where they began, uh, and from where they are now, and and how they've earned every single bit of it, uh, is really something special, and I think it's it's a big part of what makes this league so great.
0: And on Tristan, I think John, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure this came up during the game when he when he hit 30. From what I remember, I thought I think his career high was 29 in his second year, but I don't think he ever touched 30 until the 35 point night.
1: Yeah, he was never anywhere near thirty five, and and it's. I mean, again, it's he never was asked to do that before. You know, prior to last season, it would have been for Tristan to take that many shots would have been would have been a big problem when you have LeBron and you have Kyrie and you have Love and you have everybody else uh, around. That was to me that was the beauty of Tristan because he's a perfect role player. I mean, you see some of these teams nowadays, Zach, that that peter out when they get into the playoffs. And it's because, yes, they have talent, but they don't have guys who understand their roles. Or they have guys who try to do too much. You know, they're talented players, but they just don't fit. We see that time and time again every year in the NBA. And Thompson was the perfect fit piece. And he played that role beautifully, even defensively. I mean, you can think of some of those stretches when he was defending Steph Curry during those runs to the finals for four, five, six seconds on a switch and doing it incredibly well. And like I said, Cavs don't win a title if Thompson's not there in 2016. But then you fast forward to see the kind of player that he could be and and has been over the last season or two, particularly this year. And it just makes you appreciate what he's done over a nine-year career.
0: And the crazy thing is, I I don't believe he's 30 yet. He's still technically... And he's been here since 2011. It's his 10th year, and he's still, or ninth year, rather, and he's still at 28, 29. It, it's crazy Yep, that 28 happens.
1: years of age. Yeah, I mean, he was a baby, and the Cavs picked him fourth overall back in 2011. Same year they took Kyrie number one. So those two came in at the same time, uh, two 19-year-olds, and uh, it's almost hard to believe now that he is in season number nine.
0: And Said something. And then the last thing on McKinney, he's also, he, he had a great, great stroke of luck in the tryout in the NBA. He was on the Raptors and the Warriors in, the, in mixed years. If he had been a Raptor in 2017 and a Warrior in 2018, he would have just had both rings. I'm sure he'll get one at some point. But that close, just kind of like Vera was just wrong place, wrong time. The one year his career ended in Cleveland, he goes to Golden State and, and, the, Cavs, and the Cavs won.
1: Yeah, and now, I mean, the, the opposite flip of that is how about Patrick McCaw? He just happened to be on the Warriors roster for two, two straight seasons and <laughs> was a Raptor last year. Guy's been in the league. He's only in his fourth season. All he knows is NBA title. <laughs> if you had to guess what? who's the only player who won three straight NBA titles the last three years, Patrick McCaw is not on the tip of everybody's <laughs> tongue <laughs> here in the NBA. But uh, hey, congrats to him. And you're right. McKinney, wrong place at the wrong time. But I, yeah. I tell you this McKinney was asked if he's happy to be in Cleveland. Uh, at the start of the season, and he said, you know, same story. He said, hey, listen, I was <laughs> I was playing in Luxembourg about five seasons ago. I'm thrilled to be anywhere uh, in the NBA, and it certainly has shown in his play.
0: And then, John, we talked a lot about your career and about the Cavs. Let's transition a little bit to your partner. Some of the most colorful phrases I think I've heard in my lifetime is Austin Carr, also probably debatably the most uh, – contagious laugh I've ever heard on a broadcast. Um, what is your personal favorite AC catchphrase?
1: Oh, geez, there's so many. I I wouldn't know where to begin, but I'll tell you this, Zach, I love that guy. I mean, life is better when Austin Carr is around. You know you know how you know people in life that whenever they're there, when they're at dinner with you, suddenly dinner's ten times better than it was <laughs> yeah. without them? And that's that's how Austin is. And there's no hidden agenda. You know, in a business where, you know, you hear things about these, you know, these people or this people or that, Austin Carr is the most authentic human ever. And it is a sheer joy to be able to work alongside him. What's interesting is that Austin and I, you know, since I got to the organization nine seasons ago, we've been good friends. You know, and I I made the transition, of course, from the radio side to the TV side this year. And when people ask, you know, well, what – it might have been trou- not troublesome, but what you know? Did you think looking forward may have been an issue, or were you worried about the one thing that I had zero worries about ever was chemistry with Austin Carr. <laughs> I mean, if you can't work with Austin Carr, you, some you know you need to get a new profession because he's just uh, he, hes so nice and he's so engaging and he, and people love him so much that it's a, like I said, it's a joy Zach to come to work with Mr. Cavalier uh, each and every day, and I, I couldn't be happier to, to share the booth with him. And I know
0: the fans definitely enjoy listening to the two of you guys every night. It's cool to also see Brad already in there, but when you guys are out there, the two of you telling great stories, laughing back and forth. And no matter what the score of the game is, volumes on full, every other noise in the room is on mute because you got, you got, you got J Mike and AT MCing the Cavs game.
1: Well, thank you, Zach. I, I appreciate the kind words. Like I said, it's been a, uh... It's been joy over the last nine seasons on the radio and on the TV side. So uh, I feel blessed and uh, can't wait for more years to come.
0: Oh, for sure. And uh, John, as I told you before we started you know, today, going back to Springfield, and I have actually, I, today is the first time I've ever actually heard the voice of Basketball Creator. There was an interview done with James Naismith in 1939, I believe, when he was visiting at a Knicks game, and he talked about how basketball started and how there was roughhousing in the first-ever game featured a dislocated shoulder, several black eyes, and an unconscious individual because that's when he instituted the rules that you can't travel and you have to dribble with it, and then that game had no casualties. But but that was in 1892. Here we are now in the year of Division 2020. 13 original rules of the game were printed in the Springfield YMCA training school newspaper, and John – what is the game of basketball meant to your life overall, playing it, announcing it, watching it, studying it, all of, the, all of it?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. Let me tell you first, this, you can talk about another irony. I, when I was in Springfield, I taught as an adjunct professor of broadcasting at Springfield College, which... Is the place where James Naismith invented the game of basketball? So, wow! Another irony. Not only, not only did I not go to the, not only did I not go to the basketball hall of fame when I was there, I taught at the place where basketball was invented by James <laughs> Naismith. He may have penned that actual interview or article right there where I taught at wow. Springfield College. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been special. I mean, you hear this so much, and it's true, Zach. It's about people. You know, I, I think back to. I think back so fondly about even my first coach, who I worked with, uh, was Byron Scott, and just how he welcomed my family and I into the basketball mix. And it's interesting, you know, I came from the NHL, so you know, yet you, you you come in knowing that you have to prove yourself to you know people saying, "Well, is this a hockey guy? What, what kind of a hire is this?" You know, to, to show that you know the game of basketball. And Byron, within moments of meeting him, I don't know if he recognized her or what, but whatever it was he welcomed me in with open arms and treated me like family and my wife uh, we didn't have any kids at the time and welcomed us into the circle of coaches and that is something I will never forget uh, and that was my entree my entrance into the NBA and, and Byron Scott helped facilitate that and that's you know, that's an example of the kind of people that you meet along the way who make this journey special and I think that's what it's all about Austin Carr is right there in that category Uh, Then you look at some of the players along the way being able, you know, for four straight seasons to call LeBron James and crew, making it all the way to the NBA Finals. I mean, there are guys who have been in this business for decades and decades who have never even been near uh, the NBA Finals. So it's special. Uh, And and there's no question that has not been lost on me. It's not been lost on my family, what this game has meant to me. And and I'll take it a step further, what the Cavs organization uh, and Chairman Dan Gilbert have meant to me taking a chance uh, on me, in terms of putting me in a position to succeed, so that's those are all things that are special, Zach. Those are all things that I'll never forget, and make this this sport and this organization so meaningful to me. And and John,
0: closing notes, closing question for you for today on the Across uh, the Cavs podcast, uh, John. Obviously, this is hard. It's your you've been here nine years. Talk about come across so many great people in the relationship with uh, with Coach Scott. And with Dan Gilbert you need entire organization. But, you know, you have the amazing call of yours, Game 7, 2016. Can't tell you how many times I've listened to that over and over. But outside of that call, outside of that game, if you can't pick just one, that's totally okay because if, if I was in your shoes and I had to answer one, I'd probably be flabbergasted. i have no response. But let's see. Your favorite Cavaliers game that you've called besides that Game 7 in 2016.
1: Oh, boy. I mean, there's a there's a good list of games. Now, I mean, LeBron won a couple of games during that stri- During that four games. So there was a game he won in Toronto, which was incredible, a game he beat Indiana, was amazing. I, I might have to say it was, let me think what game it was. It was game four in, I'm trying to think, 2015. All right. I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was the season of the Cavs. Uh, the first run to the title, all right, yep. David Blatt was coaching. The Cavs were down two games right. to one, uh, and it was a game that LeBron called his own number. You know, he audible, he called his own number and hit the shot in the corner uh, to beat the Bulls and to make that a 2-2 series. You know, people forget if the Cavs lose that game, they're down 3-1, going back home for game five. There's yep. no guarantee that the Cavs get out of the second round in 2015, which maybe, Zach, changes the landscape. Going into 2016, you know what I mean? Like, who knows if that would have worked out the way it did, if the Cavs didn't make that run to the finals in 2015, get the experience in the finals against the Warriors that they clearly needed uh, in 2016. So that, man, that game was a beauty. And, you know, let's not forget either in game three, just two nights before Derrick Rose banked in a three to beat the Cavs. They put the Bulls up two games to one. That one's up there on the list. Watching, watching Matt Della Vadova completely frustrate the Atlanta Hawks in the third round of the yeah. the conference finals of 2015, I'll never forget that. I mean, Al Horford got ejected one of those yeah. games for trying to, you know, take out Della Vadova when he fell to the floor. Yeah. Jeff Teague, you know, was, was irritated the whole <laughs> irritated the whole series. <laughs> I mean, Della Vadova was a monster with Kyrie in and out of the lineup uh, in that 2015 run, so... Those are some that stand out. I mean, again, it's hard to pinpoint one, but man, what a what a magical four year run and so many great games and and you know at the time to not take it for granted because it's not gonna it's not gonna last forever. It's the way yeah. the NBA works. Uh, and it, it was it, and we didn't. It was a special special run and we're just like I said, we're fortunate to have so many great games uh, during that four year span.
0: And also, last note on that. Didn't if I remember correct, didn't he also in the bull series get Taj Gibson ejected from one of the games as well, belly
1: That that rings a bell. maybe. I think that rings a bell. Yeah. Again, I don't. I don't know for sure, but man, when well, he was a menace, well, he, wasn't he? I mean, he was fantastic. Here, well, here's one of my lasting memories of that 2015. Of the Matt Delavadova in 2015 after Game Three. The Cavs won game three at home to go up two games one in that final series against Golden State. Yep. Um, And, you know, people forget, too, that game one that the Cavs lost went into overtime. I mean, the Cavs were a bucket away from going up 3-0 in that series. Yeah. But Matt Della played. He had to defend Steph Curry with Kyrie Irving out of the lineup and literally left everything out there on the floor. Had to get, you know, he was dehydrated. Had to go to the Cleveland Clinic after the game. Uh, because he was so spent, so we Zach were in there. You know, we do the, we go into the locker room and we see the podium and during the playoffs, especially the finals, <clears throat> things take a while after the game's over. So we were finally heading to our cars maybe 90 minutes I'd say after the game was over. Right. We start. We leave the arena, walk into the parking garage, and there's a there's a fun little area in Cleveland's about half a mile away from the arena. And, you know, way, it's you know, eight, ten blocks away, it's called East 4th Street, and the chants of Delhi, Delhi, Delhi are still echoing from, way, I mean, about a half mile away. This is a good 90 minutes after the Cavs had won Game 3 and Dela Vadova did what he did uh, wow. against Steph Curry. And walking to my car, it still gives me chills to think about it. Uh, it was it was really special, and it gives you an idea just how the, the city of Cleveland uh, adopted the Aussie uh, for what uh, Dele Vadova did during some of those runs.
0: And he's actually been my personal favorite player since his rookie year. It's funny, because I never watched him at St. Mary's, but then he comes in. I think it was a nationally televised game against Miami in LeBron's final year before he came back, and Delly was a rookie, and i I think he, for some reason, he drew the start of shooting guard that night. He only shot one for six. He played 30 minutes. And he just saw the hustle. And, I mean, he's as you said on the broadcast, and I saw the tweet a couple days ago, Joe Burrow just won a national title and still that's a guy. So I just think it's great that a guy can go undrafted at St. Mary's, coming from the land down under. And in a league that features a Twitter account of Aaron Baines having 60,000 Twitter followers for the Delvadova, the fan club to be so wide open to athletes and people of all walks alive. I think it's great to have to see that for him.
1: Yeah, the Joe Burrow thing was terrific. Again, for those who don't know the backstory, Joe Burrow was at Ohio State before he ended up at LSU, won the Heisen, just won the national championship, and he, he had a dilemma shirt on was asked about it, and he said, listen, I saw this guy dive to the floor once and punch somebody right in the head. <laughs> Joe Burrow said he, he became my favorite player instantly. <laughs> so <laughs> like like Joe Burrow, Zach, uh, you, both, you both are
0: big fans of Matt Della <laughs> All right, John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure having you, and I look forward to speaking again.
1: Oh, you got it. Anytime. Take care.
0: Go Cavs.